Glorious Easter, church. Happy Easter. This morning's reading comes from the book of 1 John and the Gospel of Mark. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. That was awesome. Happy Easter. Easter. Y'all look great. Look fantastic. Thank you uh, for being here today. And for the, all those joining online, thank you for uh, being here as well. Today is uh, Easter. It is the most important day in the Christian calendar, and it begs the question, why? Which is what we're going to talk about today, why? But before we get into that, I realize that some of you are here because it is Easter, and maybe somebody has dragged you here. They've dragged you in front of a screen somewhere, and you're watching online right now, and you, you heard that we're a church for people who don't go to church, and you're wondering, what is that? What is that? So I want to tell you a quick story. 16 years ago when this church began, we just had this feeling like uh, there was something specific that Grace Community Church was supposed to be. And so we prayed and prayed and prayed. We prayed for 18 months and we didn't hear anything back. And at the end of 18 months, we just had this impression that we were to be a church for people who don't go to church. Now, what does that mean? Well, it meant this, that we felt impressed by God, that God wanted to create a place for people who didn't go to church that they would love to attend. So if you are a church person and you're passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about, you know, there's a, there's a great story in Luke 19. You find this a lot of places in the biographies about Jesus's life, that he was always hanging out with non-church goers. But in Luke 19, there's this really cool story, and he's hanging out with a bunch of non-church going people, and all the church goers say to him, what are you doing? Hey, man, what are you doing? What is, what is this? And Jesus says, I'm here for all of them. So here's what you need to know. If you're a church-going person and you're here for the first time because somebody dragged you to this church for people who don't go to church, if you're passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about, you're going to love grace. If you are a non-church-going person, here's one thing you need to know. God created this place for you. We are honored that you are here. here. We are thrilled that you're spending Easter Sunday with us. All right, now Easter. 
What is Easter all about? Why is it so important? In order for us to figure this out, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. We're going to take a running start at this thing, okay? So let's go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where the whole Bible begins to the garden. Everything that God creates in this garden, it's like a temple, everybody, actually. A temple, what's a temple? A temple is a place where heaven and earth meet. It's a place where God resides. It's a place where we enter into his presence. So the garden is actually, if you look at the way it's constructed, very similar to the wording, if you're a Bible person, to the wording of the construction of the tabernacle and the temple. So God is creating a temple where his presence dwells and where Adam and Eve are in a relationship with God and everything's perfect. They, they lack nothing. They lack nothing. They have everything in abundance. Matter of fact, the Garden of Eden, you would think that the word Eden in Hebrew would mean something like a park, right? That's what you would think. That's what my assumption would be. It doesn't. You know what it means? It means abundance. The word Eden in Hebrew means abundance. God created a place of abundance where there's no lack, there's no poverty, there's no pain, there's no suffering. Everything is just right. So, puts them in this place where it's like best case scenario, best case. Now, this is going to be really important. So I'm going to ask you if you can help me with something real quick, okay? Since it's Easter and you're feeling extra kind, if you'll help me with something, if you could say best case with me, because I want you to remember it's so important. Ready? One, two, three. Best case. It's best case scenario. Couldn't get any better than this. And God says, just there's one, one rule. Not a lot of rules, just one rule. There's a tree. It's the middle of the garden. Don't eat the, don't eat the fruit on that tree. That's it. All right, just right? Tree, middle of garden, right. best case scenario. Why would they ever want to, why would they ever want to rebel against God? They wouldn't want to rebel against God, right? I mean, they have best case scenario. There's one thing, stay away from that tree. That's all there is. And then one day, one day, even though it was best case scenario, they were tempted. I said, you know what? This rule, like this one rule, this is too much. This is oppressive, Man, how can you thrive? Are you sure you're happy in this environment with all this abundance and you've got this one rule hanging over your neck? This is ridiculous. And so what it said to them, you, you do you. Man, you do you, baby. The way to freedom, the way to happiness is you do anything you want. You want that tree, you take that tree. You take whatever you want. And so instead of following God anymore, they say, we're going to follow our own ways. This is ridiculous. We're going to follow our own ways. And even in best case scenario, when you think, oh, who would ever, they do their own thing. And when they do their own thing and they rebel against God and they say, you know, we'll, we'll make our own decisions. What's the best way? Everything changes. Everything changes. It goes from a God first world or a you first world or love is a you first world, not a me first world. They go from that to this over here, which is all about me. And in a me-first world, things get ugly real quick. And so the first thing we see happen is they have two boys, Cain and Abel. And Cain, in a me-first world, says, I don't like my brother Abel. And so he kills him. And from there, everything spirals downward as fast as it could possibly go. Fast. Really fast. And there's suffering, and there's pain, and there's lack, and there's abuse, and there's cruelties of every sort. And the story of the Bible from Genesis all the way up till we get to Jesus, right, in the New Testament, is the one cycle after another. It's like they were in the garden of abundance, but because they said we're going to be me, not God first, me first, I'm going to do me, right? They went into exile. They had to leave the garden. They had to leave the presence of God. And then we're told 
The Israelites, they were in the promised land, experienced the presence of God. And then all of a sudden they said, well, we're going to do our own thing. And then they had to leave that land and they go into Egypt and they're in exile again. Oh, it sounds like a very similar story. And then they go back to Israel and say, you know what, God, we're going to do our own thing. And now they go into exile again into Babylon where they're slaves again. You follow this? The Bible just keeps telling us one story, same story, over and over. Eventually it'll sink in, right? We say, okay, got it. We were meant to live in the abundance of the garden, in God's presence, in the temple, in the presence of God. You know, people say, religion's going to die. People have been saying this, religion's going to die, religion's going to die, it's going to die, you know. It's, just, it's of no use anymore. It's not vital anymore. Rodney Stark, who's a sociologist, says that we are more religious today than we've ever been in the history of the world. Why? Because we have this desire to be back in that garden. And the Bible is telling us a story that our hearts knows to be true. We know this because all the great stories of the world are about this place where there's love and there's honor and there's not hatred. It's about this place where a leader actually will lay down his life for those who are in his kingdom. So we long to go back to that place. Well, things get really, really cruel. And then one day, things change. Things change. All of a sudden, people start loving each other. All of a sudden, people start praying for their enemies. People start serving their enemies. People start being kind to their enemies. And in a world at this point was dominated by Rome, and Rome was a, I mean, the Roman soldiers, oh my gosh, they knew how to be tough. And it was a place of power and domination. And in that environment, all of a sudden, love and mercy and grace and all these things. And then Rome, the city of Rome, gets hit by these plagues. Now, this is historical fact, not biblical fact. It's biblical, but it's also historical. Rome hit by plagues, and the people, they like, oh my gosh, you're going to die. So they leave their family and friends, they... It's going to be rough, right? And they run for the hills and they leave them there in the city to die. But there's a group of people and they run in and they care for them and they love them. And many times they're caring for their very enemies who took their houses and their money and their land. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? And they show love and mercy and grace. All of a sudden equality starts breaking out. This is part of historical record, everybody. People say... Did the resurrection happen? Is it resurrection important? Maybe it's just an example. Maybe it's just, you know. But a part of the historical record is the world changed about 2,000 years ago. Hospitals started breaking out all over the place. Oh my gosh, you serious? Yes. Universities followed. Education. People used to, it's called exposure. They would take their baby. I don't want my baby. They would just leave the baby outside. Cute baby. Think about how cute and wonderful a child is. Like, ah. Let the baby die. It was a cruel world, and it stopped. And how about the Colosseum that's so famous? I was in Rome about five, six years ago. Phenomenal place. Think about it. But you think about what went on there. You think about what went on in the Colosseum. People would go to watch men, women, and children, innocent men, women, and children being eaten by lions. And that's your Saturday show. That's pretty cool, huh? Or be cut into a story. That's what they did for entertainment. And the Colosseum went out of business. If you're here this morning and you value mercy and grace and forgiveness, if you value caring for the poor and the oppressed, if you value the concept of a loving God, you have Easter to thank for that because that's where that idea came from. It came from Easter. Well, 
There we go. Today is all about understanding the incredible, the incredible love of God for us. All right. The resurrection is proof that Christ's way, the you first way, is the only way back. If you'd like to fill in, fill in the blanks. This is a, this is a good one to fill in. What's the resurrection all about? So why are we here on Easter Sunday, and why is this day so important? Because actually, everybody, what the resurrection is proving is that the way of love, not the way of force and power, which is what we would think, particularly in a me-first world with a me-first philosophy, that the way of love, that the way of sacrifice is proof that it works. That's what the resurrection is all about. And this is the first step, the cross, in putting everything right. Now, this doesn't make a bit of sense in a me-first world. It make a bit of sense. And you see that in the Scriptures. Because in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And Peter, who is the leader of all the disciples and anybody who's going to get it right after hanging out with Jesus, sitting under his teaching for three years, it's going to be Peter. He's going to get it right. He's going to understand it. And so Jesus says, hey, look, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to suffer and die because of great love. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to sacrifice. Right? That's what I'm going to do. And so Peter says what? This is what he says, Matthew 16. Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke Jesus. Whoa. Whoa, man, easy, fella. He's like coming down on Jesus, rebuking him. Why is he rebuking him? Because this ain't going to work. There's no way this is going to work. It doesn't work. He says, never, Lord, this shall never, ever happen to you. So what does Jesus do back? Okay, get ready. Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me. Who? Satan. Mm, man, anybody ever called you the devil before? I might have been called the devil a few times in my life. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God. You buddy have merely human concerns. What do you say? In a me first world, Jesus, you go on a cross and die doesn't make a bit of sense. You need to come in here on a war horse and drive the Roman army out by power and by force. And he says, you know what? We're going to turn this world upside down so it's right side again so everybody can enter into a relationship with me, which where they always long to be. And we're going to do it by way of love, not by force, by love, not by rules. That's what the cross is all about. And the resurrection proves that Christ's way works, the way of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Doesn't make a bit of sense. Doesn't make a bit of sense to Peter. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness. This is, this is crazy. It's not going to work. This is not going to work. Nobody thinks this is going to work. We have to grasp that. It's not going to work. And we today still think it's not going to work not going to work. It's just plain foolish. But Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 15, a whole chapter dedicated to what is the resurrection all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, death has been... What's death? Death is the ultimate defeat. What has defeated the ultimate defeat? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? So Christ's way is the way of love. Going to follow God, going to do His will. And that is what's going to ultimately bring victory, not force, not power. It's going to be grace, mercy, forgiveness. It's going to be love. That's what, and resurrection is the proof. So that's when they started following Jesus. Everybody leaves them on the cross because that didn't make a bit of sense to anybody. But when they see Jesus raised and then they say, oh my gosh, this is going to work. This is the path out. This is the way back. This is how we get back into the presence of God. We get there by love. 
We get there by the cross, and Jesus Christ is leading the way. The resurrection proves that the way back into a relationship, God, is through love, and the exile is over. So when Jesus says over and over again, he says, take up your cross and follow me, I'm like, what? Take up your cross? What exactly does that mean anyway? Does anybody wonder these things the Bible says? What does that mean? Why do I walk around with a cross all the time? What in the world am I supposed to do? Here's what it means. It means that love always involves sacrifice, doesn't it? Anybody in this room, yeah, you love anybody? You know those words are true. All love requires sacrifice, or that relationship does not continue on in a loving way. And this is what Jesus Christ is. The, love is the means. Love is sacrificial. Love hurts. I think somebody wrote a song about that one time. Love hurts. <laughs> I just want, real quick, because we're going to focus on this theme, right? But I'm real quick, because some of you are going to say, hey, John, what did you do? You'd say, you know, I, be, I need to be a doormat. Larry, walk over me. That's love. Love is weak. Here's what I need you to know. I'm not going to go into this. Okay, we're going to get into the weeks ahead, right? Love is not weak, everybody. The cross, now, a weak person didn't go to that cross. Somebody who was brave, bold, and courageous went to that cross. Somebody who put you before himself went to that cross, right? It takes courage, Love is not weak. It's bold, courageous. A lot of people think, you know what? Uh, you got somebody in your life and there's something going wrong, whatever. Like, oh, I'm not going to confront them. You know, I just let it go. I'm just going to let love them. You know, it's, I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be loving. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be loving. Actually, what you might be, just as a consideration, you might be being selfish, not loving. Because Jesus was very confrontational. If something is wrong, he confronts it. We just talked last week about him clearing out the temple because he needed to confront something that was wrong. Sometimes I might not confront somebody with something because, why? Because I don't want to deal with the drama of confronting them. Instead of being loving, I'm being unloving and selfish because I just don't want to deal with it. You, you follow me? But if I really love them, I'm willing to speak up and speak the truth in love, right, to confront. So just want to say this, love is not weak, just in case we're confused about that. Now let's go back. Peter is saying, no way will this work. That's not going to work, and the resurrection proves that it does. It's what ends the exile and gets us back into the relationship with God the way it's supposed to be. So, just be loving. Now, here's the problem with that. <laughs> nobody's going to do it. I mean, nobody's going to do it. Nobody's going to be loving like that. None of us. I mean, maybe on a good day, you might be loving for a couple hours, but you're not going to be, you're not, you're not ready for this, right? You know what I'm saying? Right? Until somebody cuts you off in traffic. Right? You're not, right? Oh, I'm loving. I'm such a loving person. Cut you off in traffic, say some snide remark at work or whatever. All of a sudden, boom, the love's gone. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's going to do that. And Jesus Christ, here's what this means. Here's what this means, everybody. Jesus Christ did what none of us would or could do. All the way to the end. Put the Father's will first. Put us first. All the way to the end. All the way to the end. Jesus did this for us. He did it because of his great love. Now, how should we respond to that great love? I just have three things to consider briefly this morning, all right? First one is this. Number one, if you'd like to fill in the blanks on the back of the bulletin, we need a new leader. New leader. You know, about 30, I actually counted them this week, it was about 30 times in the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus says these two famous words, follow me, follow me. Here's the thing. We all follow somebody. You guys are very smart. I say this all the time. It is a fact, Jack, that Arlington County is the smartest county in the United States of America. 
Yes. So you all smart. Very, very smart. And if you live in Alexandria, let's not leave you out. <laughs> According to Amazon, Alexandria is the most well-read city in the United States of America. So we already know this. You're all smart. So I don't need to build a case for the fact that we all follow something or someone. You already know this because you're very smart. It's a human condition. We all follow someone or something. And Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow me. It's very, very important. He says it to all kinds. Of, he says it to rich. He says it to poor. He says it to young. He says it to old. He says to sinners. He says to saints. Men, women, children, follow me, follow me, follow me. And one of the most famous follow me's he ever did was to Matthew, the tax collector, who ended up becoming one of his disciples, one of the 12. And why it is so odd is he's a tax collector. And I know tomorrow is tax day. So you're thinking tax, IRS, oh yeah, are they bad people? Total different deal, okay? I can't explain it all, but these were really, really bad people who were involved with the corrupt Romans and they were just by force, okay, they're stealing from people, hurting people. They had their own category. So when we talked about, it was like sinners and then let me give you a category even worse, tax collectors. So you would imagine... That when Jesus comes along to Matthew, the tax collector, the worst sinner possible, he would say what to Matthew? He'd say, stop it. Cut it out. Clean up your act. Get it right. But he doesn't do any of that. You know what he says? Follow me. And that should grab our attention. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Leadership is the, is the single greatest determining factor in the success of a team everything. Well, we're getting ready to start this Just Dance series next week, and I need to talk to you about something real quick as it has it pertains to leadership and to following Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about all kinds of relationships, just so you know. We're going to talk about friendships and family and work, everything. All these principles that are so wonderful. As goes your relationship, so goes your life. Very important. We're going to talk about these principles, but you need to know this. We're going to slant towards loving relationships, romantic relationships. In other words, if you're interested in a smoking hot love life, you're going to be thrilled, okay? That's what we're going to, we're going to talk about. Now, <clears throat> how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? Two things are going to get us there. Number one, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, wonderful relationship building principles from Jesus. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing, the Navy SEALs, okay? <laughs> if you don't want a smoking hot love life or you don't like the Navy SEALs, it's going to be rough in the next couple of weeks. I'm just warning you now, okay? Why the Navy SEALs? Because the Navy SEALs are highly, highly, highly successful in the most intense environments. I mean, they are awesome in intense environments. And what is a loving relationship? What's a smoking hot love? What's a marriage relationship? What's, it's intense. It's been said that marriage is the most intense relationship you'll ever have in your life. Man, it's just intense. So we need to go to the Navy SEALs. And we say, under all that intensity you're suffering, you have great principles. Let us learn. Let us learn from you. So we're going to learn from the Navy SEALs. And I'm going to tell you one story now. All right, you see this picture here, them holding that boat. This is during BUDS, their BUDS training, right? And they always do seven-man crews with the boat, and they have these races. Everything is a competition in BUDS. Every, you're always in a competition with each other, and so they have these competitions, very elaborate things they go through. And one of the things, they have to paddle out. They have to do a couple things out in the way. They have to come back, and then whoever wins, wins. And so whoever's in first place, you're the winner, and everybody's second on down the line. You're just loser. So if you're second place, you're loser number one, loser number two, loser number three, right? And, and you know, something about 
about the military. Military is great at kind of just humiliating you if you don't do well. Do you know what I'm saying? Does anybody know what I'm saying? Some of you in the military, you know what I'm saying. So I, I, when I worked for UPS, when I worked for UPS, and I, it was a long time ago when I worked for UPS, all of my supervisors were military. All of them were. And oh my gosh, they would just light. It was awesome. They would just light us up. And it was so pushed. So what they would do here in the buds class, if you came in second, third, or whatever, man, they would just lay it into you, humiliate. And whoever came in last, oh my gosh. Last place was really last place. And they punished them brutally. So on this particular situation, boat number two won pretty much every single race. Boat number two won almost every single race. Boat number six lost by a lot almost every, and they just punished boat number six. They, and they let the leader have it. I mean, this right up in his ear. And then they would make them do all these other things and they would make them hold the boat. Okay, because you lost. They would all have to hold the boat out here straight for a long time until their arm, they were shaking. You remember? Remember football? Those you play football and you may, the coaches would make, and you would just start shaking or hold a squat or something. Remember that? You'd hold on. It can't matter how heavy your arms would get, right? And they would make them do these things and they would take every last bit of strength out of their bodies and they would demoralize them. And boats, and it doesn't matter how much they pounded, boat six lost, boat six lost, boat six lost. And finally the chief comes along. He's watching all this unfold before him. He says, I got an idea. Let's swap leaders. Let's take boat two, who's winning every single race, and let's swap it with boat number six. Well, boat number six leader was thrilled. He's like, this is awesome. You stuck me with a losing crew. Nobody can lead these guys to victory, and finally, you're going to get to see what I can really do because you're going to put me in a decent crew. I just got, I was dealt a bad hand, dealt a bad hand. Boat two guy, he goes down to boat six, and he's like, okay, well, we'll see. I'll do it because I'm a what? I'm a Navy SEAL, Okay. Then they have the race. Boat six wins. They have another race. Boat six wins. And another, and another, and another, and another, and another, and another, and boat six keeps winning. Everything rises and falls on leadership. I want to ask you one question. Who is your leader? Who are you following? You're following something. And Jesus Christ says, if you will follow him, if you will follow him, he will lead you back to where you really want to go. Number one. We need a new leader. Number two, we need a new way. We need a new way. Look what this says. Beautiful verse in Hebrews about this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by how? By a new, can you say it with me? By a new and living way. By a new. Jesus creates this new way. What's this new way? It's a way of love. Jesus Christ, we're told in Revelation chapter 1, takes away the keys of death. How does he take it? He takes it by way of love, not by force. Takes it away by love, not by way of force, not by way of rules. He does it by a way of love. And he leads us out of exile back into where we were always meant to be into his presence by way of love. And that's why 1 John 3.16, which we read just here a few moments ago, says the greatest expression of love is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's putting God first. I'm, I put first what I love the most. It's pretty simple. I put first what I love the most. Adam and Eve in the garden put me first. Best case scenario, they don't do it. Now, think about this if you can for just a second. Adam and Eve, they're in a garden. And what does God say? Best case scenario, obey me about the tree. 
right? There's one rule, maybe about three. They don't, and now we have an explosion of rules. Now there's rules all over the place, and all the rules can't even contain the chaos. And now here comes Jesus. And where is he? He's in a garden. And what is, Jesus, what is the Father talking to him about in the garden? A tree. Adam and Eve, they're in a garden. Obey me about the tree. Best case scenario. Jesus, worst case scenario. Jesus grew up in Israel. The Roman army put to death tens of thousands of people on crosses all over, all over Israel. Jesus saw that. The cross, everybody, just so you know, is extreme pain, but it's not just about pain. It's about utter humiliation. So it's about pain. It's about suffering humiliation. So Jesus is growing up in that environment, and he's saying, well, that's one place I don't ever want to go. I don't ever go to that. And so over here, Jesus, worst case scenario, he says, Father, in the garden, in the garden. Says, Father, is there any way to avoid the tree? Father, you can read it. Father, is there any way to avoid the tree? And the Father says, no. And Jesus says, I love you that much. I love them that much. I will obey you about the tree. And in worst case scenario, Jesus Christ does it. <clears throat> That's love. That's incredible love. That's courage. That's bravery. That com that's commitment. Everybody, I need you to know this about me. Um, when I get a cold, I get a really terrible cold. Okay? Uh, my wife gets colds. Her colds are nowhere near uh, as difficult. You know, as difficult as me. And she has a hard time understanding it. And some of you other uh, men or husbands out there, you understand how bad the cold is. If you could speak to her, she's over there in a beautiful dress. And let her know, yeah, I know what he's talking about. Intense, intense cold. Like, like, so she gets a cold and she just continues on with life. And she just does all things. Like she'll host 50 people at our house. You know, she'll give birth to 10 of our kids while she have a cold. She's plowing the back 40. She's running women's events. She's doing everything, but she doesn't get a cold bed. So it's okay for her. But I, it's intense. It's hard. It's extreme. So you know what I do when I get a cold? I say to everybody, everybody out. Everybody out. Get away. I want to be left alone. And she'll come and she'll knock on the door. Do you need anything? I'm like, don't knock on the door. Don't text me. Don't call me. Leave me alone. I want to be left totally alone. If I need something, I'll let you know. And you know why I do that? I do it. It's very strategic. Because I know under those extreme conditions, I will be unloving. Under those extreme conditions of my cold, I will be unloving. And then I'll have to apologize something later. And it's just so easier if I say, everybody stay away. That way I don't have to be unloving to anybody because I can't deal with the extreme conditions of my cold. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is anybody here? Any man will say, amen, brother. Very difficult. Very difficult. Jesus Christ, worst case scenario, worst case scenario, was still loving to you and to me and to his Father in heaven. Still loving. That's amazing. Do you know how important love is? Here's how important love is. Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that counts. What? The only thing that counts? The Bible's getting ready to tell us, everybody, the only thing that counts so we should like, whoa. If you're a Bible person, you say, or if you're not a Bible person, you're like, oh, I want to know what the Bible says the only thing that counts is. Well, here you go. Boom, here it is. Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through, what is the word? Love. Interesting. 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter of the Bible. Right? We read this verse, we expect to see people in tuxes and long dresses, right? It's the love chapter. It says at the very last verse of the love chapter, and now these three remain, faith, 
hope and love. But the greatest is what? What's the greatest? What does it say? Love, but faith. Well, what about faith? I thought, I don't have, you just need to have more faith. You need to have more faith. What's this? Actually, love. Then Jesus here in Matthew 22, this is awesome. Teacher, tell us what the greatest command, what the greatest rule of all rules is. All right, I'm going to tell you. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love. The Lord. It doesn't say obey the Lord your God. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus reduces the entire law, the entire Bible down to one word. Remember over here, we had one thing, obey me about the tree. Then they didn't, and an explosion of rules. Now we've come all the way back. We've come full circle. One rule, one rule. Now we're back to one rule, and one rule is what? Everything's reduced to one word, love. Love, think about that. Do you want to know what the cross is all about? you want to know what Easter is all about? you want to understand what Christianity is all about? Is that if you get your love right, everything else falls into place. That's Christianity. Why should you really, really, really follow Jesus? Why should you really follow Jesus? Right? I, I always thought this way. I'm following Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. Right? I, I want to go to heaven. Of course. I, go to, I don't want to go to hell. I've heard that. I've thought that. I've told people that. Other people have told me that. The court, that's the, right? I want to I go to heaven. That's why I follow Jesus. You know, um, I proposed to my wife. I got down. I actually got down on my knees. And I said, Krista, will you marry me? She said, why? <laughs> Too much laughter. <laughs> Too much laughter. Why? Why do you want to marry me? I said, because you're rich. I want all your money. <laughs> you know, right? If I would have said that, what do you think she would have said? What? If I would have said I'm marrying you for money, she would have said, ladies in the room, no, thank you very much. You got it right answer. Bingo. Why? Because it undermines the relationship. So Romans 3.11 says no one seeks God. What? What do you mean no one's, everybody's seeking God? No, what Romans 7, what 3.11 is saying is that we seek what we can get from God. We don't seek God himself. We're not seeking the relationship. And when I say, hey, I'll follow Jesus because I want to go to heaven, I'm actually undermining the relationship. If I tell other people that you need to love and follow Jesus Christ so you can go to heaven, not go to hell, I'm undermining their relationship, which should be based on love because what I can get out of God, I can get his money, I can get his riches, not because I'm in love with God for God himself. And that in a me first rule-based world works, but it doesn't work in a world based on love and on the cross of Jesus Christ. I marry somebody because I love that person, not because I'm going to get their pocketbook. Very, very important concept. It all starts with love. Now, Augustine says something very important. Please, this saying and these verses, if you will really let them sink in this morning, could change your life. Listen to what Augustine says. My love is my weight. Wherever I go, my love is what brings me there. My love is my way. Whatever you love, you're there. Think about the Ten Commandments, can you, for just a few moments? Ten Commandments. First command, love God. Okay, put God first. That means whatever's first in my life is what I love most, period. Just a fact, right? First commandment. Num commandment number one, love God. Commandment number two, no idols. Don't I mean idols before me? You know, I find time in my life for whatever my idol. My, so when we first got married, my idol was basketball. 
Chris would say, hey, did you get this done? No, 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 I, I ran out of time. Did you get this done? No, I, ra- I ran out of time. Did you get this? I ran out of time. Well, how did you find time to play basketball three times this week? <laughs> so it's all about my love. Commandment number four, time. Time. Spend time with God. You know what? I always find time, no matter how busy I am, for whatever I love most. Commandment number five, love your parents. And as, is anybody a parent here this morning? Anybody? Does anybody love that verse? Would you like to quote that verse to your kids over and over again? Love, love, love my son sitting over there, Jonathan. Love your parents. So <laughs> first five, first five of the ten, first five of the ten is all about love. It's really all about love. We don't get to the rules to number six. You know why? Because if you get your love right, the rules will follow. You don't have to worry about the rules. If you get your love right, the rules follow. What we really need is more love. We don't need more law. We don't need more rules. We need more love. That's what the commands are showing to us. And we're like, obey the rules. What we need to do is get our love right and everything else will fall into place. So and then it says, don't murder. Jesus says, don't get angry. Why? Because it's a sin? No, because it's really unloving. <laughs> really unloving. Don't gossip. Why? Because it's a sin? No, because it's really unloving. Don't lie and cheat and steal and tomorrow's tax day and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because it's really unloving. And now the entire law has been boiled down because of the cross of Jesus Christ to one, one, one thing. And that, that is love. It's the greatest thing. So now you're saying this. Okay, John, got it. I just got to be more loving. I'm just going to be, you know what? Thank you very much. I don't need Jesus. I just need to be more loving. No, <laughs> please don't do that. You know why? Because now you've come all the way back to the garden and we make the mistake of the me first world, which is a very unloving world. Adam and Eve say, you know what? God, we don't need you. We will do this ourselves. In my own strength, in my own power, I'm just going to be loving. Like I'm going to grit my teeth sometimes, but I'm going to be loving. Or we could say, God, I'm going to put you first. Jesus, you did what I cannot do, and I'm going to trust in your strength and in your power. Because I can't do this. I need you. I'm not independent from you. I'm dependent upon you. That is the humble path. That is the humble path. And so what we need, we need is a new power. Last point. We need a new power. Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is that? What's the gospel? The gospel is the story of the love of Christ. The gospel is the story of the love of Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. Why is he saying ashamed? He's saying shame because people are saying shame on you for saying that. Why? Because that's, they're saying this way will never work. And he says it will. The resurrection is proof of that. It's proof that the way of love, the way of Jesus Christ, putting God first, putting others first, right? This is the way to the path back into a relationship with God. And they're saying shame on you for that. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We, need to f- we don't need to follow the rules to get a reward. Romans 5.5. 5. You ever prayed this for yourself? I would encourage you to pray this one all the time. Romans 5.5. 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We follow what we love. I have a buddy of mine. He's like, hey, can you pray for me? Because... I just keep doing all this stuff, keep doing all this stuff, you know. And so what do I pray for him? Oh, God, get him. Light him up. (laughs) Drop the hammer on him. Bring the conviction down from on high. But that's not what he needs because we follow what we love. And if God's love by the power of the Spirit is poured into his heart and into my heart and into your hearts, all the rules will fall into place. Piece of cake. It's all about love. 
That's why the Bible says the greatest thing, the greatest thing is love. We don't need more law. We need more love. All right, I'm going to ask the music team. They're going to help me finish this out. I did one last story I'd like to tell you all, and the music team's going to come out and sing this wonderful, great song. I'm going to sing it. But I, I, just, I, just, I just need to talk to you about this incredible story that we have in the Bible called the prodigal son. It's a, it's a, it's a famous, it's a famous, famous story that Jesus told in Luke 15. And many people who've never cracked a Bible before, never been to church, they've heard about the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal's come back, right? So it's this tremendously famous story. So you have this story of father. He has two sons, and one son is just really... He's, he's just gifted at self-discipline. He's just a very disciplined person, okay, and very moral person. And then there's the younger son. And we're told the younger son comes to his dad and says, you know what? I wish you were dead, but since you're not dead, uh, just give me all the money that you have that's my portion, and I'm out of here because I'm going to do my own thing. And man, he does it. The Bible tells us he goes out and he lives in riotous living. I don't know what riotous living is, but... You could probably make a movie about it. So he goes out, and man, it's just a riot. He's just full on. He's just full on going for it. And then eventually all the money runs out, and he real, all of his friends leave him. His money is gone. And then as a Jewish boy, he finds himself in a pig pen longing to feed his stomach with the slop from the pigs. I mean, this is bad. It's as bad as it gets. So he's filthy. His life is a mess. He doesn't have any food. And this is one day he comes to his senses. Now listen to what he says when he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. He says, you know what? My father's hired servants have it better than I do. I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my dad, I'm going to clean my act up. Right? I'm going to work hard. I'm going to obey all the rules. And I'm going to be like one of your hired servants. You know where the hired servants live? They didn't live in the dad's house. They live back in town. Right? And so he's saying, dad, and I always thought it was so noble. I'm going to work my way back in until your good graces, and I'm going to earn the reward of living in your home once again because I'm going to buck up. I'm a cowboy up, and I'm going to obey all the rules and clean my act up. Some of you are here today. You're like, man, I'm here. You know, it's my one time here. I'm like, oh, God, right? I'm here. I'm doing my good deed, God. It's got to get me something. He's like, that's what I'm going to do. So he starts making his way back. He's going to earn his way back in. And it's really noble. It sounds great to me. And then we're told his father. And his father must have been like standing, just waiting, just looking, right? And he sees him afar off. And then his dad does something unthinkable. Jewish men never ran in public. No. It's humiliating. You would never do it. And he sees his son and he takes off in a full sprint for his son. Now, why would he do that? It's one word. What do you think it is? Love, tremendous love. If the townspeople would have gotten to that son because of the disrespectful thing he did to his father, they would have killed that boy. And the father, even though he was greatly disrespected and hurt and wounded by the son, he breaks out into a full sprint and he gets to his son and his son starts going through, oh, dad, I'm going to do this. this." You know what the dad does? I'm thinking, let him go, dad. Let him, let him grieve for all the terrible things. Let him tell how he's going to get his act together and he's going to obey all the rules and get his life cleaned up. And the dad says, shut up. What? No, 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 stop. No, stop talking. His father knows he doesn't need rules. He needs love. He needs love. So I proposed to my wife. Will you marry me? Why do you want to marry me, John? Because you're going to make me obey all the rules. Like, I can't be a slob anymore. I can't leave the dishes, you know, in the sink. 
You know, my habit is to clean the dishes. I would let them soak in water for a long time. I tell you, that's how they really, really get clean. So water, just soaking long time. You're going you're gonna to make me obey all the rules. You're going to change me as a person. You're going to do all that. That's why I want to marry you. What would she have said? She would have said no. Why, why, why do you want to marry me, John? First response, just guys, just listen. This is a me first response, but still, the first response I always have is because you're so beautiful. But after I say you're so beautiful, I always say, because I can't believe how much you love me. Why does the Father run to the Son? Everybody, please think. We don't need more rules. We need more love. And the Father runs because he's trying to show the Son how much he loves him. And he throws the robe on him, puts the ring on his finger. He hugs him. He kisses him. He thinks, if he will just understand how much I love him, and he'll, he'll take that into his heart, then he will never, ever leave me again. Do you have a revelation of God's love? Do you know that that's what the cross is really all about? He went to the cross because he loves you so much. So this morning, I'm going to ask you in conclusion, have you ever made Jesus Christ the leader of your life? Everything in your life determines on who's the leader of your life. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Have you ever said to Jesus, I want to follow you? I want to follow you. Have you ever said that? I want to encourage you in the closing prayer this morning that you, in your own prayer, right there before God, God, I want to follow you. Second thing. Have you ever said, Almighty God, Romans 5, 5, according to your word, would you please pour your love into my heart? Would you wake up? Would you think about waking up every day this week and say, God, I just want you to pour your love? Because whatever you love the most, that's where you will go. That's where you go. It's not about rules. It's about love. And let God just take buckets of his love by the power of his spirit and pour it into your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask for every single person right now who is proclaiming you as the leader of their lives, that God, you would give a continuous revelation of your incredible love and that we would follow you. We would follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and being. For all of those praying that prayer right now, God, Lord, bless them. Bless them. For all of us in the room right now that we're saying, Father, by the power of your spirit, would you come down into this auditorium and would you pour your love into my heart by the power of the spirit like never before? May that love carry us forward into a full, thriving relationship with you like we've never, ever imagined. Father, let your love come down by the power of your spirit in this place now in our hearts to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And everybody said... Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.